Good morning, Life Church. It's so good to be here with you all this morning. I'm, I'm just honored to uh, share God's word with you this morning. I'm honored that Caleb would uh, ask me to be here while he is at the beach with his wife and family laid out in the sun, tanning. <laughs> I'm here. Amen. Um, I texted him this week and I was like, hey, man, make sure you put on some sunscreen because your legs are pretty pasty. Um, so we don't, we don't want you to burn. Um, again, Derek Smith, pastor at First Baptist Charlotte, and it's an honor to be here this morning. If you would, take out your Bibles, meet with me in Matthew chapter 11. That's where we're going to be this morning. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 11, picking up in verse 1, and when you get there, say amen. amen. Man, y'all are fast. <laughs> I always wait for that one person in the middle of the sermon who goes, amen. I'm like, Jesus loves you too. You just got there, but that's good. Matthew chapter 11, picking up in verse 1. So about uh, 16 years ago is when I first met my wife. She was a student at UNC Chapel Hill who beat um, USC uh, last night. And I was uh, a student at North Carolina Central University. And we went to the same church. We were in the same campus ministry. And I remember when I first met her, she was, she was coming into church and I was holding the door. I think I might was like strategically trying to hold the door open for this beautiful girl that I saw walking through the doors. And so she came into church. We ended up having like the same friend group. Um, and a couple months later, we find ourselves eventually dating. I had graduated college, and it was her senior year at UNC Chapel Hill. And so, Chapel Hill. And so, we were we were dating, and then eventually, I proposed, and eventually, uh, we get married, December thirteenth, two thousand eight. And I would say, up until that point, when I thought about marriage, I had these expectations of what marriage would be. I had an image or a vision of what marriage would look like. And I would say that after we came back from our honeymoon, the honey dried up and the moon went down. And um, you know how that is if you're married. And we move into our apartment and life changes. And so you start to hear things such as you need to clean the bathroom sink from all the hair that you shaved or you're inconsiderate or you're a germaphobe or you don't talk enough or you're too extroverted, you're too introverted. And we would just have what we call um, intense fellowship, a.k.a. disagreements and arguments. Um, and we would have a lot of those in our marriage. And I remember moments of just thinking like, man, this is not what marriage is supposed to be like. Should marriage be all about unity and all about agreement? Whatever she wants to do, we're going to do. Whatever I want to do, we're going to do. I also remember thinking, um, because we were in the same career field, we were both educators, I also remember thinking that because my wife got home typically before me, that when I came home and walked through the door, she would be so excited to see me. And so as I walked through the door, she would be like, man, it's so great to see you. You are just so a hunk of a man. Sit down. I made you chicken and smothered biscuits and like all these things that I just thought would just happen did not happen. But it was these expectations that I had, expectations that she had. What do you do when you have expectations that are not met? What do you do when you thought something should go a certain way or someone should be a certain way and they don't turn out to be that way? Unmet expectations. This is what we're going to see in the Gospel of Matthew this morning. Jesus Christ was prophesied long ago in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It was prophesied that the Messiah would come and he would basically destroy the works of the enemy. And now Jesus, the Messiah, shows up incarnated into the world but he comes not how people expected him to come. He did not come meeting everyone's expectations. If I were to do a survey this morning and ask you the question, who is Jesus to you, how would you respond? Is he your friend? 
a counselor, a savior? Is he vengeful? Is he evil? Is he a provider? Is he your great healer? Is he baby Jesus from Talladega Nights? Is he your homeboy? Who is Jesus? What happens when the Jesus you have created in your mind, the Jesus you have envisioned, the Jesus that you thought doesn't turn out to be that Jesus? What happens when Jesus doesn't fulfill your deepest desires, when he doesn't meet your expectations, when he doesn't answer your prayers? You see, all of us in the room this morning, we are guilty of coming to Jesus with these preconceived notions of who he is and what he's going to do for us. We have faulty thoughts. We have opinions about Jesus. For example, I grew up in a little small free will Baptist church in Godwin, North Carolina. And every Sunday, the pastor would get up and he would hit the, the pulpit and he would go, Jesus is coming back. Hell is a real place. Get right. And that's literally what he said every single Sunday. And so I grew up here in this hellfire sermon every Sunday. And I said to myself, I don't want anything to do with God because he seems to be evil and he seems to be mean. And so all of my childhood was get right or get left behind. And so I spent much of my life trying to clean myself up and get myself right in order to be in a relationship with Jesus. I had a faulty opinion, a faulty perception of who Jesus is. We all come to the cross of Jesus with those thoughts and opinions. For some of you this morning, maybe Jesus is your conservative Republican savior, or maybe he's your liberal Democrat friend. Maybe he's the Jewish man with blonde hair and baby blue eyes, or maybe he's a Middle Eastern man with brown skin. Maybe he's the social gospel Jesus, or maybe Jesus is the one who does not care about social issues at all in our world. Who then is Jesus? As we dive into Matthew chapter 11, there's three things I want to point out to you this morning from our text. Three things. Number one, John's expectations of Jesus. John the Baptist had expectations of Jesus. Number two, what happened to John because of his expectations? And number three, what we can learn from the life of John the Baptist. Number one, John's expectations of Jesus. Number two, what happened to John because of his expectations? And number three, what we can learn from the life of John the Baptist. So I'm just going to reread our text again this morning. Verse 1, it says, when Jesus had finished giving instruction to his 12 disciples, he moved on from there to teach and preach in their towns. Now, when John heard in prison what the Christ was doing, he sent a message through his disciples and asked him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news of the gospel. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This is the reading of God's word, and I want to preach this morning from the title, Disappointments, Doubts, and the Unexpected Jesus. Disappointments, Doubts, and the Unexpected Jesus. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we come this morning asking you to make Jesus known in this place this morning, to make Jesus beautiful, to exalt him, to make him holy. Spirit of God, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to, to see, the ears of our hearts to hear. I even pray for my own soul this morning that you will quiet my mind and my soul, that the words that come out of my mouth will be that of you, Holy Spirit. 
that I will share your word with conviction, authority, and power. And as a result, we leave this place today, God, transformed by your presence and your power, better worshipers of you. God, your presence is in this place. We need you. Apart from you, Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. Apart from you this morning, Spirit of God, I cannot stand up here and proclaim your word. An unworthy servant who is unfit to even part my lips to talk about you. But your spirit has anointed for such a time as this. So we ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Excuse me. So the first thing I want to point out is John the Baptist's expectations of Jesus. So leading up to Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 3, we find the inception of John the Baptist's ministry. So I don't know if you remember the foretelling about John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1. The angel of the Lord appeared to Zacharias and basically told him that your wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a child. It's going to be a son, and you are to name him John. And this is what the angel said to Zacharias. He said, many would rejoice at John's birth and that John the Baptist would go as a forerunner before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah. It was prophesied that John would turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make a people ready for the Lord. That's Luke chapter 8. Now, in Matthew chapter 3, John begins to live out this prophetic vision. He begins to live out his public ministry. And here's what Matthew chapter 3 verse 1 says. It says, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Can somebody grab me some water? Perfect. Thank you. As a result of this, many from Jerusalem, Judea, and Jordan, they came out at John the Baptist's message, and they started confessing their sins, and they started repenting of their sin, and many people started getting baptized. So the scene here that's happening is that people are coming out. They're hearing the good news of the gospel preached. They're confessing, repenting, being baptized, but then also there's these people who are opposed to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and these are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so they come out as enemies of John the Baptist and enemies of the gospel. Here's what the scriptures will say of them. They will say, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit then in keeping with repentance. John the Baptist came preaching a message of confess your sin, repent of your sin, because one who is coming, his name is Jesus Christ, and he is the one who can save the world. And in verse 11, it says this. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So right here is where we see John had an image of who Jesus Christ was. When John the Baptist thought about Jesus Christ, he thought of him. Have you ever seen the Punisher, John Berthenau? Marvel, the Punisher. That's how John the Baptist viewed Jesus Christ. So he thought that when Jesus was incarnated, when he started his public ministry, that he was coming as the Punisher, that he was coming with fire and wrath and axes, and he was bringing pain to the people for their sin. John expected this new kingdom with a new ruler, and he thought that Jesus was going to come ruling with power. Thank you. I was just going to let that one sit there until I needed it, but um, (laughs) thank you. 
So John came with this vision, this expectation that Jesus was going to come with power and that he was going to rule with an iron fist. He was going to come as the punisher for all sin. And so John is in prison, and so he's starting to hear stories about the Messiah. The Messiah is here. He's starting to hear rumors of the Son of Man. But what he's hearing, he's not resonating with. And so what he does is he sends his disciples out to go say, hey, are you the Christ or should we expect someone else? Because the Jesus I know, the Christ I imagine, the one I expected to come, he will not come and start his ministry out by healing the sick, the blind receiving sight, the lame walking, lepers being cleansed, the deaf hearing, and the good news of the gospel being preached to the poor. The Jesus I expected, the Jesus I know, he will come ruling with power and an iron fist and bringing in a new kingdom, showing and displaying how his authority is at hand. And so the irony of what's happening here is that John is in a physical prison cell, but he's also in a spiritual prison cell because John is in prison to two things, disappointment and doubt. He's in prison to disappointment and doubt. John's unfulfilled expectations of Jesus led him to disappointment and now doubt. In essence, John is thinking, Jesus, I am your forerunner. I am the one that it was prophesied that I will come before you and prepare the way for the people. I thought you were going to come with fire. I told the people you were coming with fire and brimstone and an iron fist, and that is not what you're doing. Shouldn't you be talking about punishment for the sins of the people? I expected you to be one way, but you're not. I'm offended. John then begins to wrestle with this question, are you even the Christ? How many of you have ever been there? Are you really Jesus? God, are you really God? You should have proven yourself to be God. You should have proven yourself to be Jesus in this situation. If we're honest with ourselves this morning, we've all probably been disappointed by Jesus. Jesus didn't meet your expectations. Jesus didn't do something you wanted him to do. Jesus didn't change that person the way you wanted him to. Jesus didn't answer your prayer. Jesus, I expected you to heal my body from this cancer, from this sickness, from this disease. Aren't you Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals? Jesus, I expected to be married by now. Jesus, I expected to have children by now. Aren't you Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides? Jesus, aren't you Elroy, the God who sees? Don't you see all of my pain? Why haven't you delivered me? Why haven't you set me free from this besetting sin yet? God, you see my pain. Why are you not moving? Jesus, I've been begging you for direction. I've been asking you for clarity. Aren't you Jehovah Rapha, the God who is my shepherd? We all come to Jesus with expectations. And we all often walk away disappointed. And it leads us to doubt. Well, are you really God? Are you really Jesus? I think about my three boys all of my boys were born premature. Two of them were born at 32 weeks. One was born at 37 weeks. And I remember with my firstborn how we, uh, my wife is in pain and we got to take her to the emergency room. And the doctor tells her that she has preeclampsia, which means her blood pressure is really, really high. And so they're pumping all of this magnesium into her and her blood pressure is still rising. And I remember them saying, okay, we're going to have to transfer you to Duke University, which is a high risk place to deliver. 
And basically that turned into help syndrome and her body was rejecting our son. And I remember being in the hospital and all of these doctors coming into the room, having me sign paperwork. My wife was on so many medications at that time. And I remember getting a clipboard and on that clipboard, there was a sheet saying, I want you to sign and acknowledge that during this delivery, you can lose your wife and your son. My wife's pregnancy was so complicated in that moment that the doctor says that she and and my son possibly could die. And I remember pacing the hospital room, praying and saying, God, we love you. We lead a Bible study. God, is there sin in our life? What have we done to deserve this, God? We've prayed about this, God. Hear her body. And I am very old school charismatic. I speak it. I name it. I claim it. I'm like, blood pressure, go down in Jesus' name. Be healed in Jesus' name. Baby, stay in the womb. And I'm speaking. I'm declaring. People from our church are flooding the hospital rooms. They're praying with us. They're in agreement with us. But Noah is born at 32 weeks, and my wife has two blood transfusions. And then they say, you can't go home with your baby. Imagine you're firstborn, and you leave the hospital empty-handed, and you go back to a room painted baby blue with an empty crib. And I remember day after day having to go to the hospital And my wife having to feed him. And I remember getting on my knees crying, why God, why us? Where are you? My disappointment, my frustration, my anger with God led me to go in. God, I can't even follow you. I don't believe in you. I can't believe you would allow this to happen to us. Similar situation with my second born. He had placenta restriction growth, and so he wasn't getting enough oxygen, and so he was delivered at 32 weeks, and he ended up staying in the NICU for four weeks. Why, God? Why, God? Our last born, who was two years old, Judah, my wife has a normal pregnancy, and then the doctor goes, he's anemic. And so she started all of these blood transfusions inside of the womb where they had to take a needle and inject blood specifically red blood cells for Judah. That turned into this big issue that when he was born, he had to have multiple blood transfusions. He stayed in the NICU. And again, you have this, why God, we just want our baby. We just want to go home. Unmet expectations. What do you do when God doesn't answer your prayers the way you want him to? What do you do when God doesn't move in your situation the way you want him to? What do you do when God doesn't show up for you in your situation the way you wanted him to or when you wanted him to? I'm reminded of an old gospel song that we used to sing in my little black Baptist church. And the song would say, he may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. I tell you, he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He can be trusted. He is faithful. He walks with you through the fire. He walks with you in every storm. He walks with you in every tribulation. He may not do exactly what you want him to do, but he is a faithful God who is with you. If you can trust God with your salvation, your eternal state, How much more can you trust him with the trials and tribulations that come your way? He can be trusted. Unmet expectations. John is disappointed. He's doubting. He's feeling the weight of these unmet expectations. And so what does Jesus do? 
Jesus meets John right where he is. Jesus meets him in his disappointment and in his doubt, and he reveals himself to be a gentle and low savior. Verse four, Jesus sends John disciples back and he says, hey, you go tell John this. Tell John what I'm doing, that I didn't show up doing exactly what he wanted me to do, but here's what I'm doing. I am showing up with compassion for the people. I am showing up because I have a mission. I'm showing up as a gentle, low, meek, humble, compassionate savior. Quite a few times in the gospels, we hear this phrase, and Jesus moved with compassion. The word compassion in the Greek literally means to be moved like a bowel movement. In other words, it means that there is a rumbling, there is a tumbling, that Jesus has nothing else to do outside of respond with compassion. He can't help it. He can't control it. When he sees certain situations, he responds with compassion. Jesus moved with compassion, full of compassion. He reveals himself to John as a gentle and low savior. And the reason being is Jesus knew what the people needed. He knew exactly what they needed. He knew that the people didn't need a hellfire and brimstone message. He knew that the people needed gentleness, grace, mercy, compassion, and miracle signs and wonders. Because Jesus knew that judgment and wrath was going to come. Judgment and wrath was going to come one day, but it was not going to come the way John the Baptist expected it. Judgment and wrath were going to come in the least likely way ever. Jesus Christ hung on the cross. Judgment and wrath was going to come because Jesus was going to hang on a cross and the wrath of God and the judgment of God was going to be poured out on Jesus instead of being poured out on us. The punishment that we deserve for our sin, the wrath of God, eternal damnation that you and I deserve because of our sin. Jesus consumed that in his body when he was stretched out on that cross. So judgment and wrath were going to come, but they came through Jesus Christ. Jesus was on a mission and John couldn't fully see what that mission was. Church, we only can see in part. God is doing something greater and far bigger than we can ever imagine, and we can't fully comprehend it. But at times, God will will and allow us to get a glimpse, a little glimpse into what he's doing. So John's disciples, they walk away, they give the message to John. Jesus is revealed as the gentle and low Savior. And here's what we can learn from John's expectations Number one, we can trust Jesus more than our ideas about him. We need to trust Jesus more than our ideas about Jesus. We see that in verse three. Jesus could have easily answered the question, yes or no. Are you the Christ? Yes. Are you the Christ? No. But Jesus didn't give them a yes or no answer because he was going after something deeper. And he was going after John the Baptist's heart. He was going deep down into the heart where the matter of trust resides. Jesus wanted something from John, and that was he wanted John to trust him. As I examine my own life, sometimes I'm like, trusting God is the hardest thing. Because sometimes for me, I feel that, man, I know how to manage my life. I know how to lead my life. I know how to make decisions. I'm a very type A planner. I have the next five to 10 years planned out. So God, here's the plan. Sometimes in my mind, I think, hey, Jesus, here's what I need you to do. Here's Derek's plans for the next five years. And Jesus has a way of saying, oh, no, son, it doesn't work like that. I am Alpha and Omega, the first, the last, the beginning, and the end. I am in control. And Jesus has a way of messing up your plans. The fact that I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina right now is because Jesus messed up my plans. 
because I did not have a desire to move here. I was not planning to move here, minding my own business. But Jesus shows up and he disrupts our plans because he has a greater plan at work. And my question to you this morning, Life Church, is this. Are you on board with what God is doing in your church this morning? Circumstances and situations, trials and tribulations may come, pain and tragedy may come, but God is doing something far greater. And are you on board with what the living God wants to do in you and through you and through this church? He's on a mission. And that mission is redemptive in nature. Jesus is coming to redeem people and to draw them back to the Father. He wants to see all people saved that they might glorify God. He's on a mission. And what he's doing is trying to get a hold of John's heart. He wants John's eyes to be open to a better kingdom and a bigger kingdom. The call for John is to trust Jesus more than his idea. And so I want to say to you this morning, whatever you may be facing, whatever you may be dealing with this morning, whatever you may be battling this morning, you can trust Jesus. I love the lyrics of this old hymn, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I prove him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more." I love how Tim Keller once said it. He says, trust is accepting what God sends into your life, whether you understand it or not. Trust is accepting what God sends into your life, whether you understand it or not. Number two, Jesus is always about his father's mission. Jesus is always about his father's mission. I said it earlier, God is on a redemptive plan. He has a global redemptive work, and that is to see the gospel of Jesus proclaimed to all people in the kingdom of heaven advance. John's expectations of Jesus did not go the way he wanted them to go. And in a sense, what Jesus does is looks at John and says, hey, I'm doing something far greater than you can ever imagine. I think of the story of Mary and Martha when they came and they said that Lazarus was dead. The Bible says that Jesus stayed where he was a little longer. And by the time he got to Lazarus, the Bible said that Lazarus had been dead for four days. And so Jesus arrives. He raises Lazarus from the dead. But prior to that, he has an encounter with Mary and Martha. And basically they say, Lord, had you not been here sooner, then my brother would not have died. They were visibly disappointed. They were visibly doubting. They had the faith to believe that Jesus could heal the sick. They also had the faith that Jesus could raise the dead, but they were disappointed because Jesus didn't come and do what they wanted when he wanted them to do it. Jesus was on a mission. And so, and sometimes Jesus takes circumstances and situations in our lives and he says, I know this is painful, but I'm going to use this to draw someone else to faith in Christ. I know that this is hard for you. I know you expected me to heal you, but I'm going to use this sickness, disease, infection, infirmity in your life to strengthen your faith so that a watching world can say, how is it that you have so much joy and so much peace in the midst of your sickness? God's work is global. It's not about you and I. It's about what he's trying to do 
through us. Lastly, we have to understand that the gospel is offensive. Verse 6, the gospel is offensive. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and they, you say something to them and the next words that come out of their mouth is, I'm offended? You ever met someone who's constantly saying, I'm offended, I'm offended? Well, this is the gospel. The gospel is offensive. It is an equal offensive opportunity. It does not discriminate. It offends everybody. The gospel shows up in your life and it says, the least shall be the greatest, the first shall be the last. The way up is down. Forgive those who sin against you or you won't be forgiven by God. The foolish shall shame the wise. The road to strength is weakness. Salvation is a free gift, not based on your works. No one is good. No one can earn God's favor. You cannot both serve God and money. Love and pray for your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Deny yourself and pick up a life of suffering. The gospel is offensive because the word of God shows up in our lives and it tells us that we should do certain things that is offensive to us. God shows up in our lives with his truth and he tells us how we are to live our lives, that we can't live our lives the way we want to live our lives and it's offensive to us. The gospel is offensive and John was offended. That's why the verse says, blessed is he who does not take offense to me. The original translation of that is, happy is the man who accepts the Messiah and confidently trusts in his message of salvation. Do you trust Jesus this morning? No, no, no. I know some of you have prayed to trust him for salvation, but do you trust him this morning? Do you trust him with your marriage? Do you trust him with your children? Do you trust him with your finances? Do you trust him with whatever you're going through this morning? Do you trust Jesus? Because he can be trusted. As we look all throughout the Bible, there were stories of women by the name of Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Hannah and Elizabeth childbearing. They could never have children. Month after month, as they anticipated and cried out to the Lord to bear children, they were met with disappointment and doubt. Lazarus, dead, but Jesus raised him. All throughout Scripture, we find people disappointed because Jesus didn't do something they wanted him to do. But all throughout Scripture, we find the promise that Jesus would never leave us nor forsake us, that he is with us. Unmet expectations. What do you do when Jesus doesn't show up? When he doesn't heal, when he doesn't deliver, when he doesn't give you a child, when he doesn't give you marriage? When you're in your 40s and you're still single and you're like, when is my turn, God? When is my turn? What do you do? You do exactly what Matthew 11 says in verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened. Come to me and I will give you rest. For my burden is light and my yoke is easy. You come and you throw yourself at the feet of a gentle, humble, and meek Savior who says, I love you. And I believe Jesus this morning is whispering into your ears, Life Church, 
And he's saying to you, trust me, my son. Trust me, my daughter. I am doing something in this church that is going to shake the ears of everybody in Charlotte. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the minds of men what I have in store for life, church. If you just trust me, I am doing something. I am doing a new thing. Do you perceive it, life, church? I'm using everything in your life for good because Romans says all things work together for the good. He is at work. I know you thought Jesus was going to heal you. I know you thought Jesus was going to change your marriage. I know you thought Jesus would set you free by now. But here's what he says. To the disappointed, to the doubters, to the one with unmet expectations, to the brokenhearted, to the weary, to the faithless, to the suffering, Come to me, all of you, and I will give you rest. Jesus wants to give you rest now. And for all of you who are in Christ, one day, the heavens will crack open. And a gentle and low Savior will come. And all those who have been redeemed and washed by the blood of Jesus will see their God, their Savior, face to face. And the Bible says that there will be no more mourning and no more weeping. Jesus will come and he will wipe every single tear away. Though you may not be healed on this side of heaven, in eternity you will be healed completely. You will receive a resurrected body, though you may not have all of your prayers answered right now on earth. In eternity with Jesus, there will be no need because you will be washed up by the glory and the beauty of your maker, Jesus. It's all about Jesus this morning. Would you bow your heads as we come to the gentle and low Savior? Would you quiet your hearts, your minds, your souls this morning? Holy Spirit, would you begin to speak to our minds and our hearts? I would ask you this morning to ask yourself this simple question. Where am I disappointed with Jesus? Where am I doubting Jesus? For some of you, there may even be bitterness in your walk with Jesus this morning. Lay it down at the feet of Jesus in exchange for his rest, in exchange for his peace. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Oh, Jesus, we come to you this morning. God, I acknowledge even in my own life how often it is so hard for me to trust you and how I'm prone to take control and want to be in control of my life and manipulate circumstances and situations to try and get them to, to fit how I want them to be and how that causes anxiety and how it causes depression and, and weariness in my soul. But this morning, Jesus, you can be trusted. You are beautiful. You are worthy. 
We believe, help our unbelief. Have mercy on us, son of David. Oh, how we love you, Jesus. How you've done for us what we could never do for ourselves. You left heaven and you came to earth and you stretched out on that cross and you were beaten over and over again. Blood coming out of your body, your intestines hanging out. God, the wrath of God poured out on you, sweet Jesus. And you did it all for us. We owe you our lives. We owe you everything. We owe you worship this morning. And God, we just want to say we love you. We thank you. We need your peace. We need your joy. We need your rest. Give us faith to leave this place today and trust you with everything. We ask that in the precious name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.